What's up, everyone? My name is Alex Stevenson, and welcome back to the In Wonder podcast. I'm so glad that you you all have tuned in today for the second episode, and really my heart and vision for this podcast is that this would be a time where you can reconnect with Almighty God, that you would live and experience His awe and wonder of the one that we truly serve. And um, really a goal of mine in this podcast is that I myself would be as real with you guys as I can. Um, a thing that I a value I really hold deeply to myself is that I never want people to think that um, that I am above anybody else. I never want people to think that I am more holy or more righteous. I am just as sinful and as broken as you. I am growing. I am desperately in need of a savior like all of us are. And I think sometimes in our culture, we have this view that some people are higher than us, that some people have higher righteousness than us, like pastors and leaders. And we think that um, they're, they're never susceptible to sin. And we think they're automatically holier just subconsciously. And that's just not the case. We are all desperate for Jesus, our savior. And I think it's important that we make that known. And so, even uh, even in my last episode, I wanted to give you a real view of even when I teach, because I'm growing in teaching. I'm growing in pe- in preaching. I'm not I'm not perfect. I- I'm still young, and so I, I don't want to give you a skewed view of myself or my life because I am I am desperately in need of Jesus. And I never want anybody to think that I'm not because I am every single day, every moment of my life. And so are you. And so I I hope and I pray that this podcast would help you to look at yourself and your relationship with Jesus and that you could be honest and open with him. Because I think that's so, so important in a culture where honestly, we don't really evaluate ourselves very much. We don't we easily skip over evaluating our relationship with Jesus. And we live in a time where um, thinking through things logically is, is not a thing anymore. Um, We live in a very emotional culture where things are done because people feel a certain way and not that feelings are bad. They're a part of life. They're a part of our humanity that God has so gifted us with. But like I said, the use of the mind and the use of logic and the use of thinking through and evaluating, it, it's, it's, it's slipping away in our culture, not just in the secular culture and in the world, it's slipping away in Christian culture. And I see that even in, even in churches and even in Christian schools, like one of the things that just breaks my heart so bad. I, I went to a, a Bible college, a very small Bible college for for four years and I, I was online, I was commuting at some points and um, one of the things that just struck me so badly and I talked with a uh, pastor who actually who actually graduated from this college years and years ago and I, and I talked to him about it and he said, Alex, you know one of the things that just breaks my heart in today's day and age in Christian culture is number one, 
Christians are not using their minds. Christians are not evaluating their relationship with Jesus. They're, they're not evaluating themselves. Like we just go by feelings and we go by emotions and it's not biblical at all. And then he said, the second thing is, is that there's so many Bible colleges, yet there's so, so few people that are actually passionate and deeply in love with Jesus. And he said, when people are going to Bible college and people are going to ministry, we should be the most excited people ever because we have victory. We have victory in Jesus. We have a savior in Jesus. And why do we find so many Christians wallow in fear and wallow in anxiety and and have no purpose and have no passion when we have the greatest, greatest purpose and the greatest goal uh, uh, in the universe? And that's because of Jesus. That's because he came, what he did for us on the cross. And why do we find so many Christians in Bible colleges, Christian colleges, who are just not passionate? Who are not living life for the kingdom of God and who are not living joyously because we have our names written in the book of life that we would be with him one day. And that's devastating. That's scary to think that there's thousands of people and there's thousands of young adults who are going to Bible colleges every year and and many of them may not even be Christians. Many of them may not even be disciples and that's just so, so sad to think we live in such a twisted and crazy culture these days. And so it is so important that to say it's so important that our posture is on our knees that we are on our faces saying, Almighty God, we need you. We are desperate for your presence. We're desperate for your sustaining grace because without it, God, we are nothing. We are nothing. Just like in the Gospels, it says, apart from him, we can do nothing. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that as you wake up that, that you can do nothing without him? And that's been a thought in my mind recently is, is, Lord, help me to believe the things you say in Scripture, kind of relating back to our last episode. Sometimes we can get all the knowledge stuck in our heads, but do we believe it? And I've had to catch myself these mornings, like, God, do I believe that I can do nothing without you? Because the minute you think you can do something without Jesus is the minute, just like David fell when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, The context is the minute he felt self-sufficient and he felt comfortable, that's when that happened. And so do you truly believe that you can do absolutely nothing without Jesus? Like he is, he he is the, that IV that, that keeps us alive. I get that image of, of laying in a, in a bed. Okay. Laying in the hospital. And the, the last thing that's keeping your heart rate going is that IV is the fluids that are entering your body. Like that is Jesus. He is, he, we are on life support. Okay. And he's the one who supports our life. He's the one who gives us life. Okay. Like we are that desperate as that person is for that IV that keeps them alive. We are that desperate for Jesus. And that posture is so, so important. But that's not (laughs) really what I wanted to talk about today. Um, But that is a piece of it, honestly. Um, We're just keeping it real here, okay? Like, we're just being authentic and we're being real. And so, um, today, I want to talk about a passage that really actually crushed me. 
um, and was so convicting, and I've been meditating on it um, the last few days. Um, I've been in the journey of kind of my routine in Scripture every day is to read a, is to read a chapter from the Old Testament, a chapter from the New Testament, and then meditate over the song uh, over a psalm. And so that's kind of been my routine for the past year or two. And it's been so good for me. If you don't have a routine, if you don't have a, a you don't have kind of a schedule or a, a way of reading scripture, I would definitely advise this. And one important aspect to reading that I, I cannot stress enough, and I didn't do this till like two years ago, um, is is meditating. Is, is taking time to to clear out all the distractions, and maybe it's taking two minutes before you read just to focus on the presence of God. I think of that Revelation, that Revelation four passage where 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 it's describing the throne room of God, and maybe you need to take two three minutes before you read every day and just zone in on the throne room, the awe, the glory, the incredible incredible presence of Jesus. And maybe you just need to zone in for three minutes just to, to, to see that, just to, to picture that in your mind that you are coming into that presence with that God who is that divine. And I tell you, it changes your perspective when you meditate on that and then read scripture. It really does. And I, I, that's kind of been my thing and it's been so helpful. Actually, uh, one of my favorite teachers um, recommended that to me and ever since I've done it like it's just given me such a deeper passion for God's word and for prayer and just being with him and so uh, but today I want to talk about a passage in John chapter 10 um, something that really stuck out to me um, that really um, convicted me this week um, but before we dive in I, I want to pray for us and then um, we'll jump right in Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your presence and for your holiness and for your goodness, God, and for the breath and the sustaining grace that you have given me today and all of us here listening today. Father, I, I come to you and I'm desperate for you, Lord. I feel the temptation, the pressures to say what I want to say. I, I feel the pressures of trying to impress people. I feel the pressures of trying to say the right thing so that people view me as this or this or this. But God, no, no, Lord, help me to focus on you. God, get me out of the way. Oh, get me out of the way and speak what you want through me, through my mouth, Lord. May it be of you, not of me. Father, I ask that your spirit would move and that you would change lives and you would change hearts. And it's not because of me. It's not because of me or anything I do or anything I say. It's, a, it's all because of you and you get all the glory because you are God. And you are the one who holds the earth together, God. You're the one who knows me far more than, than I even know myself. Oh, I praise you for your ways. Oh God, I praise you for your mercy and for your grace. And I ask that you would transform hearts and lives today. That we would be different, God. You would shake us from the core of our being. That you would give us a passion, a heart, and a love, God. A relentless love for you. 
God, would you do that in my life? Would you do that in everyone's life? Oh, pull us back into your wonder. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. So, um, a few days ago, uh, a little background to, to what I do right now in life is I'm actually a, uh, um, right now I'm actually an intern right now at a church um, uh, doing youth ministry, which has been super awesome and has been such a blessing from the Lord. I've been able to learn from people who have more wisdom than me. Uh, people who have have way more experience in youth ministry and way more experience in church ministry, and just been able to pick the brains of people and learn how to how what that looks like and how to do youth ministry and how to do it faithfully and um, and it's been so so good and it was funny the other day I work with quite a few people and we were talking we were we were put on the assignment of calling parents okay. And this just got me because I, I didn't know this was really a thing. I'll be honest. Like, I, I've, I guess I've struggled with it a little bit, but um, thankfully not too much. But the person I was working with um, and, and was assigned to call these parents with um, <laughs> was just terrified of making phone calls. Okay. And I don't know if you relate to this at all or any of you relate to this, but she was explaining to me this concept of phone anxiety. Mm -hmm. Never heard of that before. Never heard the term phone anxiety before, but I guess it makes sense. And I've, I guess I've experienced some in my life. I'll be honest. Like I've experienced some phone anxiety in my life. Thankfully, like I said, it's not, it's not too crippling or too bad, but for her, it was a truly crippling thing. And I, and I felt bad about it. Um, but I, I really didn't know. I didn't know this was a thing. Another thing she explained to me was, um, prayer anxiety. Um, I, I don't really know what prayer anxiety is, um, but that's evidently when you feel like you can't pray in front of people, like crazy, crazy stuff. Never knew about this stuff at all, but it just made me think because it was funny because the person I was working with, she said she experienced this. And then another guy I work with, he said he experienced this. And another person I met says they experienced this. And it's funny because it's all around in my, it's all in my generation. And it really made me think, um, how much my generation and even myself, even looking at my life, how much we struggle with fear and how much we struggle with anxiety and how much we struggle with underconfidence. Um, I had, I had no idea it was this bad. And, and I know in my life, I've always struggled with fear and I've, and I've struggled with anxiety in my life, but it was just a whole new level when I heard that there are things such as prayer anxiety and there's things such as phone anxiety and, and all these fears and all these things. And I remember when my, I sat down with my professor right after I graduated college and he said, Alex, um, as you go out to look for a job, I want you to remember one thing. And he told me a lot of people after they graduate, they get paralyzed by fear as they go job searching and he said, one thing I, I want to tell you, Alex, is don't let fear cripple you as you go out there. Know that Jesus is with you. Know that you are not alone, that you are never alone, and don't let fear cripple you. 
And I resonated with that deeply because there's a lot of times in my life where, where, where I am crippled by fear, whether that's for phone stuff, whether that's job searching, whether that's just in daily life, whether that's communicating with people, whether that's communicating in front of people. Fear is such an obstacle to my generation, but also to our culture and to our world today. Fear is such an obstacle that the enemy has used. And so, as I was, do, as I was doing my reading this week in Scripture, I, I came across this passage in chapter 10, which I'll be honest, just gave me such a comfort in life. Um, because I'll be honest with you guys, like one of my, one of my biggest struggles, and I mentioned this in the last one, is I, I'm a people pleaser at heart, okay? And I hate that about myself. I wrestle with that a lot, and I'm a people pleaser, and I, and I want to make people happy, and I get fearful sometimes of challenging people and pushing people and, and really being um, direct with people. I struggle with those things, and a lot of times fear can, fear can kind of kick back at me. When in reality, the best thing that I should do is be direct, is show sometimes tough love, is to to really um, push through the way, the perspective that people view me. Because at the heart of my people pleasing is I want people to view me well. I want to be viewed as a good person, as a righteous person, as a, as a godly person. And oftentimes my fear of losing that... controls the way I live and controls the way I act and controls the way I speak. But I came across this passage in, in chapter 10 of, um, of the gospel of John. And, and a little bit of the context here is Jesus is teaching and he's giving a parable. And it's a parable about the good shepherd. And I want to scoot down to verse 11. And Jesus says this, and this is right after he says in verse 10, I'll start in verse 10 actually, he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And he's talking about the sheep. He's talking about us. And in verse 11 he says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is, high, is a hired hand and is not connect, concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me, even as the father knows me. And I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I love how Jesus starts and he goes into this parable and he could have used any kind of imagery. Okay, he could have used a king and his guards. He could have used a master and his servants. But Jesus decides to use the parable of a shepherd and his sheep. And I love this because this presents such a humble 
is such a humble and intimate and down-to-earth, genuine view about Jesus. Because if you, if you know about kind of the context of the Gospels and the coming of Jesus, is Israel thought that when Jesus was coming, when the Savior was coming that was prophesied in Isaiah, when that Savior was coming, they thought he was going to be a king. They thought he was going to be a warrior. They thought he was going to be a conqueror, okay? They thought he was going to be the next David, okay, who's going to take down thousands and thousands of people. But that's not who Jesus was. When Jesus came, he, he looked unusual. He was humble. He wasn't a big, strong warrior. He wasn't like built like the rock, okay? No, he was a man. He was fully God, yes, and he was fully man. But he didn't, he didn't look. He didn't look the part. He didn't look like Saul. He didn't look like David. He didn't look like the conquerors that they had had in the past for Israel. And so it's so in Jesus's character to present a sheep and their shepherd. And I love this because it it wasn't just any shepherd, okay? Like he could have just said shepherd, but he said, no, no, no. I am the good shepherd. Almost going back to Genesis where, where God is creating everything, right? He's creating the world. He's creating the people. And, and, and what does God say? He saw that it was good. And so Jesus isn't just a shepherd, okay? Like, like he's the good shepherd. And he is good, just like God said in Genesis that it was good, that creation was good. Jesus says, no, I am good, I am good in the weight of that, okay? Like in our culture, we use good as kind of like a, eh, it's, it's good, right? Like it's good. No, no, no. Good in the, in the scriptures, in the Bible, is not like a, eh, it's okay. No, good, it means it's good. It's great. And it's such a more powerful term in scripture than it is in our culture, And so Jesus, what is he? He's not just the shepherd. He's the good shepherd. And he says this in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Why is he the good shepherd? Because he lays down his life. And then he goes on to say, you know what? There's going to be a hired hand, okay? He goes on to say that, look, there may be people and and a hired hand. He's not going to really lay down his life for you. He's going to run. He's going to leave you, okay? But me, no, I'm going to lay my life down for you. You're that valuable to me. I am that committed to your heart and to your life that I would lay my life down for a sheep. And I don't know if you all know, but sheep are stupid. Okay? Like sheep are real stupid. I heard a story like a, a few years ago, and I don't know if this is entirely true. I may be just making stuff up. I may be just talking, you know, out of the back of my brain or whatever. But like, there was like a story where there was like one sheep and he was kind of like, he was with a herd of sheep, right? And, or a flock of sheep, not a herd of sheep. You don't say herd. Um, but he was like with a flock of sheep and this sheep was like on a uh, cliff. And so the sheep jumped down the cliff, okay? Like ran off the cliff. They're already kind of stupid, Right. Uh, But even more stupid is that the bunch of sheep that were with it, the 50 to 100 sheep that were in that flock, saw the sheep jump off, okay? Saw, Saw the dude jump off the cliff. And what did they do? You know, like every sensible, you know, 
cell in your brain would say, no, don't do it. The, the sheep jumped off the cliff. No, what do they do? Instead of walking away from the cliff, they all jump off too. Like, that's a sheep for you, okay? They do look cute. I, I'll be honest, like, sheep look cute when they have their fur on, like, in their wool. Like, they look cute. I'm not going to lie, but um, it's almost like my dog. Um, she's cute, and that's why we have her, but um, the brain size is, is not all the way there, I'll be honest. But that, that's sheep. Sheep are dumb. And, and that's us, Okay. Like, how humbling is that? That we're that dumb. Okay, we're like that sheep going off the cliff. Like, we're, we're that stupid. And we have that small a brain. And we are so limited. Yet the shepherd, the good shepherd says, You know what? I, I will lay down my life for you. I will lay down my life for someone and something as stupid and as dumb as you. And as limited as you. And he loves us despite that. Even though we're so imperfect and we're so broken and we make decisions that are sometimes emotionally compromised or we do things that are just like we look back and we're like, why did I do that? I mean, I've done that so many times in my life. But despite that, he says, I will lay down my life for you. I care about you that deeply. And then you go down and this verse just hit me so bad. Um, and so... I meditated on this for quite a while. And, and I, want, I want to invite you to meditate on it with me even right now, just to think of the profoundness of what Jesus is saying. He says, I am the good shepherd. Right? He, he's the good shepherd who will lay his life down for us. And he did lay his life down for us. And then he says, and I know my own. And my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Do you hear what Jesus is saying right here? Do you hear how profound it is? We, we live in a kind of a time, and it's easy to do this even as we read scripture, and I know it is for me, like I'll be honest, is that we can read something and then just gloss over it and then go to the next set of scripture or go to the next thought, or we can move on with our day. But listen to this. He says, I am the good shepherd, and I know, I know my own. And my own know me, even as the Father knows me. And I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He says, I know you. And you know me. Like, have you ever had that time in your life? Where, let's say you have a celebrity, or your favorite artist, or your favorite athlete. When I was a kid... Oh my goodness, I, I am a huge football fan. Um, I'm a Washington football team fan. I always have been all my life. And as a kid, oh, I so badly wanted to see my favorite players when I was a kid. My favorite player, his name was Santana Moss. In my opinion, greatest receiver of all time. I know no one else will agree with me about that. But like as a kid, I remember when I would go to those games that I would want to see Santana Moss, all right? And when I would see him on the field, I'd be like, oh, that's Santana Moss. There we go. Like, that's my guy. That's Santana Moss. And I'd be so excited, even if I saw him from a distance. This guy's an athlete. This guy's a football player, right? And we freak out when we see our favorite artists or we see our favorite athletes and we see our favorite celebrities and they don't even need to talk to us. It's just even if we see them, we're like freaking out. 
And what Jesus says here, he says, guys, I know you. And I just don't know about you. I I like know you so much more than you know yourself. And and not just that. He says, I I don't stop there. Like, uh, I I don't just know you, but, but you get to know me. You get to know my heart. You get to know my voice. You get to follow my steps. What an honor that is. Like, just think of that with me. That almighty God of the universe, the one who created us, the one who formed us, the one who knit us in our mother's womb, says, I know you, I love you, and you can know me. And this is not just on a surface level, but this is heart to heart. We can actually have our hearts tethered to almighty God. And not just that, he he compares this. This knowing, this intimacy to the intimacy Jesus has with the Father and the intimacy the Father has with Jesus. Like, we can actually know Jesus so intimately that it compares to the way that God the Father knows Jesus. Like, those guys are tight. Almighty God and Jesus are tight. They created the world together. And Jesus is saying, you know what? You can know me on a, on a very, on the same level that God knows me. And of course, we're limited and there's things our, like our capacity can't comprehend like God himself can. But he says, you can know me as I know the Father. And that, that should just break us. That kind of intimacy should reshape our whole perspective because that is on another level. And so when I think of fear and when I turn the gear back to the fears and the anxieties in my life, I can think of Jesus as this good shepherd who knows me, who's with me, even when I'm making those phone calls, even when I'm speaking in front of who knows how many people, even when I'm confronting somebody I don't really want to confront. Jesus still knows me. And we can know him. Isn't that incredible? That kind of intimacy should reshape the way we live our life. I think of the famous, famous, um, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, Psalm um, 23. And I will read this to you guys. And I love the shepherd imagery yet again here. The Lord is my shepherd. You may have memorized this as a kid. I I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. I fear no evil. Why? Because your rod and your staff they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David says, I will fear no evil because your rod and your staff, they come for me. You know me. You want to be with me. You have a relationship with me. And anything I encounter in life, any obstacles, any things that the world and the enemy throws at me, I don't have to fear. I don't have to fear when I make calls. I don't have to fear when I confront people. I don't have to fear when I go up on stage and talk to a bunch of people. I don't have to fear the unknowns and the uncertainties of life. I don't have to because his rod and his staff will comfort me. And so my question to you is have you leaned into that? Do you believe that truth? Have you leaned into the truth that Jesus says, I know you and you know me because there's some of us here who know that. We know that truth, but we have yet to lean into it. We have not taken that step to say, oh, Abba, oh, Jesus, I need you. Oh, I need you. God, help me. Oh, comfort me. And this, this truth in itself should draw us to a, a deeper dependence on Him, on a constant, fervent prayer with Him. Because when He says that about us, who doesn't want to run to Him? When we have a Savior that, that, want, that knows us, that wants us to know Him and to hear His voice and to follow His steps and loves us that dearly, why wouldn't we want to run to him? Why wouldn't we want to know him? Why wouldn't we want to love him? He is the good shepherd. So have you leaned into this truth? Have you leaned into the freedom of this statement that he knows you? And that you can know him and you can rest in him and you can walk through life without any fear because he is by your side and he is that close. And you can have the same intimacy that God has with the son. That we can have with Jesus. And so the last passage I I want to reference to you as we close here concerning this intimacy and this knowing of Jesus is this. It's Psalm 46. And it says very, very, very simply, it says, Be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know that I'm God. My translation, another translation says, cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And again, like we live in a culture that runs a hundred miles an hour, where we're running from fears, we're running from obstacles, we're running from different situations in our life. And because Jesus knows us so intimately, 
and that truth can be rested on and that truth is solid and that truth is foundational we can stop running we can stop hiding and we can be still and we can be present and know know that I am God and I would urge you, I would urge you desperately to those listening, have a time in your life, have a time during your day where you can be still. Because sometimes the busyness, the craziness of life, the, the, the rapid thinking and the different thoughts we have in our mind can come and go. And, and it's almost like flipping through a million channels on the TV in, in a minute, like it's crazy. And our attention spans get smaller and life just gets faster. And I would encourage, encourage, encourage you guys to, uh, to get alone with Jesus each day. To get somewhere quiet, to disconnect, to get away from the busyness of life and get on your knees and cry out and be still and know that he is God and know that he loves you and he, want, and he wants to know you and he wants to walk by your side and he wants to lead you through whatever it is in life. And it may not be easy and it may, it may be difficult. The situations you're going through may be rough. But he wants to lead you through those things and he wants to know you and he wants you to know him. And I would urge you, be still and know that, you are, know that he is God. Spend time alone with him in prayer and meditation over his truth, over his promises. I actually did this the other day where I pulled up a, a, a list of all the miracles and all the testimonies of God in Scripture. And I just read and meditated on them. Maybe you should do the same and pull up a list of all the things God has done in the scripture just so that will remind you and ask God to remind you and help you to believe those very things. Because it's amazing. A lot of times we think that our time with Jesus can be a waste and it's not a good, it's not a good investment of time. No, 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 no. You are being so productive and it is so, so critical that you spend time with Jesus. It is not a waste. It is not a waste. And so spend time knowing that he is God and it's amazing the work he has been doing in my life. And I'm not perfect. I still fear. I still have anxiety, okay? I still don't always want to call somebody, all right? I still, I still struggle when I speak, when I speak on stages and um, I still struggle when I meet new people. That's a fear of mine. I still struggle with those things and I'm growing in those things. But when we have our eyes focused on Jesus and our, and our worship on him and not on the things of this world, it's amazing. It's amazing the work that Jesus does, the redeeming work he does in our minds and our hearts. So get alone with Jesus. Know that he is God and he knows you deeply. And you are never alone, never alone. And so that is my encouragement to you. I know this is all over the place. But before we end, I want to pray for us and pray that God would do an intimate internal work in my life and in your life that would change the way we see life, the way we experience work, and the way that we interact and live for Jesus on the daily. Father, thank you for your word. 
and the truth that, that Jesus is the good shepherd, that he laid down his life for us, even though we don't deserve it. We don't deserve a breath. We don't deserve to even be alive. Yet, yet your son laid down his life. You sent him and watched him die for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you, that you did that redeeming work for us as sheep. We are so pathetic and we're so broken, but yet, God, you are our hope. You are our sustaining grace. And we thank you. We can have confidence because you know us and we can know you. And so, Father, would you take this truth, this beautiful truth, and would you implant it and bear fruit from it in our lives, in my life, Oh God, help our unbelief, help our lack of faith, help my lack of faith. And God, would you please, please, please change us and push us into action. Deep in our love for you, deep in our hearts for you, God. Would you, would you make our relationship with you, would you remind us of who you are? God, would you restore to us the awe and the joy of our salvation and help us to be still and and disconnect from the ways and the strings of life that we would know you and stand in awe of you and live in a constant posture on our knees. God, you are good. You are everything and we are nothing. And to you we cling to. To you we hold on to, God. Thank you for your grace and your love. And we lift this time. And would you hear my prayer? In your holy name I pray. Amen.